Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your love. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, y'all know I like to talk about my parents, so I'm going to do that today. Um, my dad, who, whose name uh, was Lewis Hudson, named after his father, um, he was renamed by his oldest grandchild, who named him Papa Hut. And that's what we called him to the end of his life. Anyway, uh, Papa Hut had, in his lifetime, four knee replacement surgeries. Now, uh, he evidently outlived the first two. They went to seed, and so he had to have an, two more done. Uh, when I was young, it was the practice of our first United Methodist Church in El Campo, Texas, to serve Holy Communion once a month. They didn't want to have it too often, you know. They had to just have it once a month. Uh, as with most United Methodist churches at the time, there was a communion rail that ran the whole uh, front of the church that separated the, the body of the church, the, what would be called the, well, anyway, I can't remember the name, but uh, the, from the chancel, which is the platforms, the platforms that have the pulpit and the lectern and the choir and the organ and the altar table. Well, when Papa Hutt would go for communion, he couldn't kneel most of the time because, you know, because of his uh, knees hurting so badly. But he would always lean in and take a whole handful of those little chiclet <laughs> crackers because he just believed that you had to get as much as you could of this feast of God's grace. Well, um, after we left El Campo and moved to Bryan College Station, um, and after he'd had a couple of those knee surgeries, maybe a third by that time, uh, my mom, who Hudson had named Mama Joe, woke up one morning to a noise coming from the den. Uh, it sounded like a groan, and thinking that Papa Hutt had fallen or had hurt himself, she got up quickly to see him on his knees in the den, with his hands clasped facing his chair and his elbows on the seat of the chair, praying. And so she exclaimed, L.C.? That's what she called him, L.C., to distinguish him from his father, Louis. L.C., what are you doing? <laughs> he replied, well, Joanna? Well, no, he probably said brown eyes. Well, brown eyes, sometimes you just have to be on your knees to pray. And I suppose he was right. This need to draw close to God was more important than his pain. And maybe that's why the first two knee replacements wore out. <laughs> he just hadn't told us. Unlike our Roman Catholic, Episcopal, and Lutheran siblings, most of us mainline progressive Protestants no longer have churches with rails at the front. Some still do. Some of those built in the 40s and 50s and 60s have those rails and in fact Greenland Hills where we uh, have our home here uh, ha puts rails back up for communion but they've taken them down. So perhaps kneeling is more of an attitude than a physical posture and that's something important to consider I think because sometimes 
You have to be on your knees to pray. The story of Matthew uh, and the visitation of the Magi tell us that on entering the house, the Magi saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down in order to honor him. That was a posture taken a lot of times when people were encountering a leader, a king, uh, an emperor to kneel. Um, so it's a little more foreign to us today. But there's something to be learned here in this story, I think, and a few things we need to clear up before we go any further. First, I want to clarify for you the church here, because as mainline Protestants, uh, we celebrate a 12-day season of Christmas. You know the song, the 12 days of Christmas. Well, that, that signifies that there's a 12-day season of Christmas. So Christmas happens on the 25th, and then 12 days later, it's January 5th, and then the 6th is Epiphany. And by the way, I think it's time the Christian church reclaim January 6th as a day of light and life, okay? Amen. I'm just saying that. I'm just saying that. I'm just putting that out there. So, um, so because we are Protestants and we don't celebrate worship for on a lot of other days than Sunday, except for Ash Wednesday and Holy Thursday and Good Friday. We really don't celebrate worship except on Sundays. Um, and we're unlike our Roman Catholic siblings in that regard who have certain days that are holy days, that holy days of obligation and other holy days that there are worship services specifically for special things. Um, the and some seasons, there are two Sundays after Christmas because of the way the calendar falls. But this year, the first Sunday of January, we call Epiphany because then the following Sunday is baptism. And then we move on into the season of Epiphany. But that means we're celebrating the visitation of the Magi well before January 6th this year when they actually, that's the actual date of Epiphany. Now, you may think that that doesn't matter, and maybe it doesn't, but I just wanted to clarify for you so that you would know what's going on this year. Now, the, the actual scriptures that we have uh, also have a unique thing that happens. You know, during Advent and on Christmas Day, we heard stories this year from the Gospel according to Luke that led up to Christmas Eve for us when we heard the Christmas story as told by the writer of the Gospel of Luke. But today we hear a story from the Gospel according to Matthew about the visitation of the Magi to the child Jesus. And so as modern Christians, we have typically, well, and even ancient Christians, had conflated those two stories. So what we get in our manger scenes are the angels, the shepherds, the animals, and the Magi. Well, you know, the Magi weren't at the side of the Christ child in the Gospel of Matthew. In the Gospel of Luke, the angels and the shepherds and the animals are all there, but not the Magi. In the Gospel of Matthew, we get the Magi, but not the angels and the shepherds. And you may, again, think that that really doesn't matter much until you consider this, until you consider that there's a difference in the two stories. One is about an infant that has been provided for 
the mother provided for a safe, mother and father provided for a safe place for them to have their child in a, we sometimes think it's a barn or a cave, but it was actually a safe place. It was a warm place. It was a comfortable place where they have this baby and these angels sing in the hillside and then the shepherds come. I mean, it's a beautiful story and it has a specific purpose to recognize that the least and the most marginalized of people even came and worshiped this, this child that was born. But in the Gospel of Matthew, there's something else going on here because what we know of the story is that as soon as Herod figured out that those magi had fooled him and tricked him and gone on their way without telling him where this child was, he issued that horrible edict that every male child, two years and younger in the kingdom, should be executed because Herod was just that paranoid and just that evil. Well, when you're a parent of a one to two year old child and these strangers come from a distance and bring gifts but also tell you that Herod is looking for this child, it's a very dangerous story. It's a very important story and it takes on a whole different meaning. And that's why I think it's okay for our manger scenes and our songs like the first Noel to include all the movable parts of both the gospel birth, birth narratives, but it's important for us to recognize the difference as well. And so what we find is that we have these manger scenes and songs that reflect this conflated story, but, but the, the importance is is that we pay attention to some of the differences as we engage the scriptures. So some important things happen in today's gospel reading. The Magi were likely Persians living in what is now called Iran and Iraq. And they were also probably Zoroastrians. And that group of people um, tried to discover the mystery by looking at light, watching the light, worshiping the light. So fires and stars and suns and all of that were part of their faith culture. And interesting, isn't it, that we call Jesus the light of the world? And so here they were. And the Zoroastrians were benevolent people, and they paid attention to the cosmos. And so something happened. Something happened that lured them into this mystery of this appearance of this star. And they answered this inner urge to leave the comfort of their homes, to make a long and costly, dangerous journey across a continent to find a child born under the mark of this star. How do we know it was dangerous? Well, they traveled only by night. Or perhaps that was the only time they could travel and follow the star. They bring gifts to the child, showing us that, once again, strangers are not just necessarily dangerous, but in fact, often strangers come bearing gifts. And they kneel before the child, this mystery child, and present their gifts in, honor, in order to honor him. And then, listening again to the mysterious call of this great mystery that we call God, they listen to a dream. 
and they know that they cannot return to Herod, and so they depart by another road, a different way. In other words, they have to let go of the narrative that was before them. They have to let that go and go on and follow their call back home. The Apostle Paul's letter to the Ephesians is no less important. Uh, Reverend Larry Gibson read it from the message, which is really accessible, I think. It gives us contemporary language to be able to hear Paul's words a little bit more in our vernacular. And I want you to recognize the call that is being expressed here, the message of mystery that, that Paul calls the Christ, and the mystery that we are all on equal ground. Gentiles, which most of us descend from, Gentiles as well as Jews, everyone's on equal ground, and that's such a mystery, isn't it? Especially in culture that was so hierarchical. And the mystery is that we all get the gifts. We all get the gifts of God. And Paul provides an example for us of one who is called by this mystery, who calls himself a prisoner, actually. I'm imprisoned for this mystery that is Christ. And like the Magi, Paul responds and calls us to do the same, helping people understand and respond to the message the mystery through followers of Jesus like us gathered in churches this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about Paul says and when we have faith and in and trust in Jesus as our Christ we are free to say whatever needs to be said and go wherever we need to go this is Paul's message about this mystery of God the lessons are clear for us. Pay attention. Listen. Risk following or responding. Kneel or have an attitude of kneeling before the mystery that is revealed to you. Bring your gifts and then say what needs to be said and go where you need to go. And that's challenging for us, isn't it? In an article written in the Christian Century by Brian, <clears throat> well, where is that name? Brian Bantam. <laughs> written by Brian Bantam, uh, he talks about that we, in our culture, uh, try instead of to engage what is mystery before us, which is life and death, by the way, which is God present with us, we try to escape. We try to get away. You know, um, I mean, take for example Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, who recently were so excited to get away that they launched themselves into space for 30 seconds of weightless bliss. And then there's Facebook telling us that there's a possibility of connecting deeply through a virtual world called Meta. Now, while these billionaire dreams come true, let us confess that all of us have them. We all have this kind of need to escape, and that's not a bad thing. Vacations are good. Escaping to do something, like go to a movie or these kind these are all good to give us space and, and help during stressful times. But 
Think of it. I mean, sometimes we embrace our forms of escape just like those billionaires do, just with a more modest uh, income. And so we take trips to New Orleans. We do uh, binge Netflix, right? We get a VBRO house at, at the beach. Uh, we take long bike rides or spend all our time busying our minds and our bodies in order to stay away from the mystery that is God. As we enter this third year of pandemic, our impulse to escape has never been more pronounced. Sometimes it's more prevalent because of all that we are facing. And so we try to escape. We try to enter a dream world rather than maybe deal with the problems before us, like homelessness. I got an email today from Larry, who was on his way to the church where he works, and he said, I drove by so many people sleeping out in the cold this morning. What can we do? Are there things to help? So I got to go find that out. And that's hard to look at. And it's hard to acknowledge. In our uh, American world, we, we like to have things and not have to deal with the heartaches that are out there, right? Well, <clears throat> in these ways of... Um, saying no to life, no to a life with God, no to encountering the mystery of God, no to examining carefully our lives and our deaths, God chooses to say yes to us. At Christmas, we discover that God comes to us and, and doesn't avoid us and wants and seeks us. And, and that's... That's mind-blowing when you think about it. God becomes flesh and lives under the tyranny of empire in order to draw close to us. The early teachers of our faith taught us that God becomes like us so that we can become like God. But at Christmas, we discover that God is now like us. So to become like God is also to come nearer to ourselves and to each other, that we might find the freedom of living in these bodies and all our complicated reality. Richard Rohr, in his daily devotional, one day last week, explained the idea of people who can find another way of being in the world and being present to the mystery. He talks about, and you know this, we've divided ourselves into groups and we see the world very uh, linearly and, and on a line that is between right and wrong, good and bad, yes and no. I mean, and we're on the side of the good and the yes and all of that, and all the people that disagree with us are on the other side, right? And so we have divided ourselves into these categories it doesn't matter what labels we use. We can use political labels. We can use cultural labels. It doesn't matter. We've divided ourselves into this division, this dual thinking. But Rohr says there's a third way. And the third way is about kneeling. 
or having a posture of kneeling. He says, we might call it wisdom, which, by the way, is what the Magi were, wisdom teachers. And this third way demands that we recognize that this isn't about dichotomies. It's about seeing the paradoxes. It's about living the questions. It's about transforming our consciousness and moving beyond this dualistic win-lose mind that we have. Our faith has always taught us that to be truly authentic, to enter into a true reality, to enter into the mystery that is God, we have to seek the encounter of God. We have to listen for the encounter of God. We have to answer the call of God. And contemplation is one way to do that. Contemplation, meditation, slowing down, breathing deeply, opening our eyes and our minds and our hearts to a God who is calling us. And that's why the Magi knelt at the manger, and that's why Paul found himself compelled to respond to the mystery of Christ before him. Leaving all the stuff of our lives behind is actually a path to life so that we might have it abundantly. The child we welcomed at Christmas, the child that the Magi knelt before, the grown, the child grown into a man that Paul responded to and answered a call to and gave his life over to, That child left heaven for a stable, left his parents in the temple, called disciples to leave their nets, and let the dead bury the dead. He put his hand to the plow and did not look back. Thomas Kelly, a, a Quaker educator, said, only now and then comes a person who is willing to be utterly obedient to go the other half, to follow God's faintest whisper. But when such a commitment comes in human life, God breaks through, miracles are wrought, world-renewing divine forces are released, history changes. Our Jesus, who we call the risen Christ, is headed into tomorrow. As we step into this new year of 2022, listen for his call kneel or have an attitude of kneeling before him, this mystery of love and light and life, and then get up and follow him because he is on his way. Amen.